Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NABIP Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NABIP's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your healthcare happy hour. NAPIP will be hosting the ICRA certification at the upcoming Benefits Pro Expo on May 8th in Atlanta, Georgia. This three-hour course will provide benefits and insurance professionals the training to better advise employers and achieve a higher comprehension level of the ICRA market. Join leading experts Mark Mixer and Annette Bechtold from the HR Council, who will provide a foundational framework and insight as to where ICRAs are best utilized. To learn more about the certification and the conference, visit www.event.benefitspro.com slash BPRO Broker Expo and take advantage of 15% off the full conference registration for NABIT members by using the promo code NABIT15 during the checkout process. President Biden signed a resolution on Monday ending the COVID-19 national emergency earlier than previously scheduled. But as of now, the public health emergency is still set to expire on May 11th. What's the difference? On this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, I am joined by our Vice Presidents of Congressional Affairs, John Green and Michael Andel, who will review what the end of the national emergency periods mean, in addition to reviewing some NABIP-supported legislation that we need your help in getting passed. So welcome back to the Healthcare Happy Hour, guys. Before we talk about the national and public health emergencies and everything that comes with that, let's go over a couple of bills that have been introduced in Congress over the last few weeks that we absolutely want to ensure that our members know about. So let's start with the Common Sense Reporting Act that dropped shortly after a Capitol conference. So, obviously, employer reporting has been a hot-button issue for NABIP for some time. So, what would this bill do? Well, thanks, Dan, and we're happy to be back on the Happy Hour podcast. It's been a while. So, the common sense reporting issue has, as you know, been around for about 10 years, and every year we've introduced it and made it a little bit better each time. But I think now we've got this bill down to a point where we don't expect to receive any score on this. We took out objectionable language that IRS had in JCT claiming that we were eliminating the employer mandate, which we do not agree with, but we removed that language. And we also added some guardrails in terms of how long the IRS has to present an employer with the 226J letter. We know that they are behind in their audits. And we realized that this was left wide open. And so we simply say in the bill that in accordance with current regulatory and legislative language that we have in this regard, 
that there are time limits on how long the IRS has to do this. And I, we thought that was a good protection for employers, and so did our champions on this bill. And so on February 28th, Adrian Smith and Mike Thompson of California introduced the latest Common Sense Reporting Act of 2023. And we are now in a process of buttoning up who we need to get this elevated in the, in the Ways and Means Committee. So for example, we have to do technical assistance with Treasury, and we are in the process of setting that up and uh, getting co-sponsors, and our members have been great in terms of grassroots operations to get co-sponsors. I know Michael has a good handle on what those numbers are. Well, it sounds like the Operation Shout that we had on this provision, we had about 1,700 responses the first time we put out a request. So thank you guys so much for your participation. And we did a second round just focused on the members of the Ways and Means Committee. We got several hundred responses there again. So that provides backup for us when we talk to members saying, has your office heard from your district about this? And of course, when they go back and they check, yes, they have. So again, thank you so much. The grassroots, when you activate, you help us in Washington. We appreciate that. And they are also preparing to send around a dear colleague letter to encourage co-sponsorship by committee members. And leadership is actually behind our bill as well. They've actually approached us and asked us for updates on how it was going. So I think things, the stars are finally aligning, and I think we stand a good chance to have it on the shelf. So when the proper vehicle comes along, this can be attached to it and get through the committee and to the floor of the House of Representatives. And in regards to the timing of this bill dropping, would you say that this is a testament to the work that Capitol Conference attendees did while they were here in D.C. in February? Well, absolutely. Of course, uh, we have uh, been actually the main organization that has been pushing for this. And I think that's been particularly true this time around. Look, when, when an issue has been sitting around for as long as this one has, interest in it generally wanes and, and organizations drop off. But we have been consistent in our support of this bill. We feel it's the right thing to do. And particularly in light of the family glitch issue and the redeterminations and the Medicaid unwinding, all of these things are relevant to having, we need a reporting system, okay, irrespective of anything else, but we want the right system. And rather than doing a pay and chase, to offer the exchanges that information up front so that they know exactly who qualifies based on the two-pronged test, not just on the question, is it affordable? That's good for taxpayers and it's good for people to make sure that they go to the correct healthcare home. And if that's the employer, that's where they should be redirected. Another more recently introduced bill is the Telehealth Expansion Act of 2023. So would you mind reviewing what this bill would do and why NABIP supports it? As you know, during the public health emergency, there was a lot of interest in having remote 
doctor visits or medical visits and telehealth became the go-to for a lot of different medical visits, whether it be through Medicare, through your primary care physician, through mental health. Now that that health emergency is rolling off, there was a risk that all the rules that had been created to allow for telehealth to be paid for before your deductible kicks in with your high deductible health plans, there was worry that that was gonna roll off. So we were able to secure a two-year extension of that provision last year, but plans need to know that it's not gonna drop off at the end of that two years. So we wanna make that permanent. Very popular with consumers, and so that's that's the simple version of what that provision will do. And it's very bipartisan in the House and the Senate. We feel like there's any provision that's going to be around health care this year. This has got to be in the top three. It's it's popular. It doesn't cost anything. And it provides for continuity of care at a time when health care costs always increase, even if it's less rates than previous years. When we lobbied on this in the last session of Congress, uh, we thought we were only going to get a one-year extension, and Congress decided two years would be better. I think that speaks to why we feel that Congress is well-positioned now to make this permanent, because I, don't, I, I really don't think they would have given us a two-year extension if they didn't think it was a worthwhile provision. And that just speaks to its popularity, as Michael said. Well, we were able to accomplish that again with the grassroots support. So when you hear from your clients, your your partners, the people that you're working with every day, and you bring that information back, that's what's important when we go to the Hill. That when they hear how it actually impacts patients, that's when you can move legislation. You mentioned already the incredible grassroots efforts in advancing the Common Sense Reporting Act. So how can NABIP members get involved in advancing the Telehealth Expansion Act of 2023? Well, as a matter of fact, this week, another Operation Child is going out on this topic of telehealth. And so you can lend your voice and those of your clients in support of the passage of this bill. Not only responding to Operation Shouts when they go out, but just remember when you see your member of Congress back home, bringing these issues back up and just continuing the work, the groundwork that you've already laid when you came up for Capitol Conference. Now, let's talk about the end of the COVID-19 national emergency. On Monday, the president signed a joint resolution that was passed by Congress, which officially ends the national emergency about one month earlier than the administration's scheduled date of May 11th. But the public health emergency is still, as of now, technically set to expire on May 11th and is, as of now, unaffected by this resolution. This is all rather confusing, so would you mind explaining the difference between these emergency periods? Well, here's what we can tell you that we know for sure, that the public health emergency was declared by HHS. The national emergency was declared by the president. The national emergency deals with COBRA flexibilities and plan notice extensions, while the public health emergency is essentially deals with everything else. 30 days after the end of the national emergency, the requirement that MA plans must cover services at out-of-network facilities that accept traditional Medicare, that will end. 
60 days after the end of the national emergency, extension of election and notice deadlines for COBRA and other ERISA plan provisions, including the 60-day election period for COBRA continuation coverage, 30-day period to request a special enrollment period, and the date for making COBRA premium payments all change. So those were the specific flexibilities that are related to the national emergency period. So what flexibilities will cease following the end of the public health emergency? Okay, so just to go back again and clarify that the public health emergency, these are things that HHS has control over. And that included the three-day inpatient SNF requirement for Medicare. Also that MA has to cover up to eight at-home COVID tests per month. Group health plans and individual health plans, including grandfathered plans, must reimburse out-of-network providers for COVID tests and related services. That also ends. 20% increase in Medicare payment rate to providers for treatment of COVID patients. And Part D plans must provide up to a 90-day supply of covered drugs if requested, also expires with the end of the public health emergency. So that's quite a long list. So given this long list and all the details around the public health emergency, please set your calendars for April 20th for the Compliance Corner webinar hosted by Jen Berman on April 20th that will answer these questions that you have. So mark your calendars for April 20th. It is now time for the NABIP Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. So who are we toasting to this week? Well, this week we are going to toast to our members who responded to our Operation Shout request, sometimes on short notice, and who are supporting our legislative agenda. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for joining us for NAPIP's Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. For more information on NAPIP's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit nabip.org.